This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Brought to you by Noble Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center needs, both carrier and software. Each show, we talk to industry leaders on how they got their start in the call center industry, because let's be honest, it's not a dream job. Find all our episodes, you can go to our website, that's www.nobelbiz.com. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel, or follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for future episodes. Hey everybody, super excited for the final episode of season two. We got a great guest, great topic today. Super excited to finish off the year with knocking it out of the park. So this is First Contact Stories of the Call Center. And here's the topic for today. For those of you who don't know about lead generation, get ready, because we're gonna dive real deep into it. All right, not too deep, but we're gonna definitely get into lead generation. Now, not other than that, we got a superstar here. Michael Faree, who's the CEO of Contact.io and Lead Generation World. And yes, he's also a host of a podcast, LGW Podcast. Super excited to have him on because look, we run into lead generation all the time in a lot of ways, and sometimes we don't always know the topic of exactly what it means in our business and how it impacts our business. So why not bring somebody with decades of experience who has, let's say, marketed, bought, sold, had been in performance marketing, and is just a very well-respected person in this space. So, Michael, we're super excited to have you on. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Christian, and congratulations on the second season, man. That's a lot of work. I mean, people don't realize how much... uh, time and uh, that goes into putting on these podcasts so congratulations man hey look i've been blessed to be talking to a lot of people smarter than i and who have really good stories which is awesome for our audience now here's the big thing for me though there's people like you that have tons of episodes and other people that have like hundreds and I sit there and go, man, I can barely survive what I'm doing with the ones we've done. So uh, my hat's off to everybody else who actually really does this on a regular basis. But look, the theme on this podcast is starting off with what's your story? Because we always talk about the contact center space. That's our focus. But I don't think I've talked to very many people that go, hey, yeah, when I grow up, I'm going to be in the contact center space. That's always been the story here. So how did you even get into this space in the first yeah, place? Yeah, I think the same applies to the lead generation industry, too. And there's a lot of overlaps that we'll, we'll sort of talk about likely here with the contact center space and lead generation. Um, but, you know, God, I, I want to try to keep this probably as short as possible. But I uh, got into the Legion industry because um, I was working at a marketing company. Uh, I was out of college. Uh, they, we did web design, all this sort of stuff. And there was a, uh, a, a job opportunity at a mortgage and insurance company for um, a marketing manager, an analytics manager. And the person was supposed to um, oversee all the leads that the the company was buying. And I really, at the time, had no idea what the heck that meant. But I knew what a lead was. And we got them in on our website for for web design. And so I went in there and and told the guys, um, yeah, I know what leads are. And uh, yeah, I know how to distribute them to the salespeople. I do that all the time. When a lead comes in, I, I, I forward off the email to the, to the sales guy. Um, but And they hired me. And so I walk in on the first day and now I'm responsible for 400 plus leads a day with 20 plus vendors, really had no idea what I was doing. They sort of put me through me into the fire, but I figured it out um, and realized that there's a really a lot of challenges with um, uh, buying leads. Um, and then uh, after a few years uh, there, I went to the other side of the table and worked for an agency where we generated leads and worked with you know companies across multiple uh, industries on on driving inquiries to their to their website or 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 or, or creating them ourselves on our own properties and selling them to them. Um, and then after that, I got into the contact center space because you know if you're um, if you're if you're buying leads, generally you have a sales team or a contact center reaching out to those leads. <clears throat> and then also inbound calls and all that sort of stuff. So I worked for a number of companies in the contact center space as well as it pertained to sort of the lead gen performance marketing uh, industry. So uh, uh, and then then started uh, Lead Generation World and Contact.io, uh, two conferences sort of dedicated to the, the to those two industries. So that's that's sort of the short story. 
Well, a lot to unbox there. So let's kind of dive into that. Let's step a little bit back and let's talk about lead generation as a term. Because a lot of people, when they think of lead generation, sometimes it's a role within a company. Sometimes it's a department within a business, right? But lead generation is an actual industry. And there's a lot involved in what we call lead generation from an industry perspective. Can you give us a little bit more behind the scenes for our audience and say, all right, in your world, what is this encompassing industry of lead generation? Who are the buyers? Who are the sellers? What is it? What is it you do? What's its purpose? Yeah, and and actually, it is quite broad um, because you know even now a new uh, title coming out is growth marketing, and it's very similar to to Legion when it's really about building um, you know new customers, and 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 generally that's what lead generation is from a performance standpoint, uh, a mindset where. Um, you know, you are working on either with third-party vendors or partnerships on driving traffic or calls, uh, for that matter, um, on a per-performance uh, basis, so on a cost per action, and generally that action is a lead uh, or an inbound phone call or, or um, you know, a qualification of some sort. Um, what we, what I've, I've sort of come to terms with is uh, consent, uh, so it's sort of consent marketing. It's 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 driving uh, individuals to raise their hand and say, "I give consent to call me," um, and that's sort of the legion um, aspect. But it gets it gets pretty broad. I mean, it's really um, you know a performance uh, based marketing approach versus a uh, agency style where you're uh, they're charging you a percentage based on spend versus not necessarily performance. Um, so that that's sort of lead gen holistically. Um, you know, a good example of a lead generation company, though, uh, as a, as an example, is most people know of LendingTree, um, and their and their um, marketing uh, statement, which is "When banks compete, you win." Well, you know, some some people may think that LendingTree is a bank. Well, they're not. They're they're a marketing company. Um, they drive uh, consumers uh, to their website to search for market uh, mortgage rates. Those people fill out that form, and then they in turn sell that information to the banks. <clears throat> so, you get three; your information will get sold to three different mortgage companies that will then uh, call you and give you a quote on your on your on your remortgage or whatever it may be. Um, that that mechanism of lending tree is sort of the lead gen marketplace, and that happens across hundreds of different industries and verticals. So let's unwrap that a little bit further and overlay it with the contact center space, right? So there's some company somewhere that wants to be able to access more people to talk to and interact with to generate more business, right? And so some of that can be done internally, right? They have internal salespeople, their own lead gen people, their marketing, whatever, that's internal. But then there's also, you're saying, companies that create an ecosystem, a product or a service that front ends that experience for all the people that are out there. And then it takes that central place or places that they collect the consent from people. And then they either act on that or they distribute that to the people that want those people to interact with for their product or service, right? Am I, am yeah, I taking yeah. this there, So when you look so at forth? just how contact centers interact with sort of lead, the Legion ecosystem and, and sort of separate it from sort of the customer service uh, ecosystem, um, mm-hmm. there are, I think there, there are sort of really two buckets of co- contact centers. There's ones that are obviously owned by the brands themselves, right? So, you, you know, you have your internal contact center, uh, sales, uh, um, sales, sales team, and then you also have yep, yep. you also have third party contact centers uh, that work on behalf of those brands, right? So yep. they're either <coughs> they're either taking in inbound calls uh, and then transferring, uh, qualifying them, and then transferring them into the the sales team, or they're making those outbound calls on data that they're being that's that's being purchased, um, qualifying them, and then transferring uh, transferring those calls into the salespeople, and so. Um, yeah, so 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 as far as Legion goes, some a lot of times those contact centers need that data to to transfer in. So it's either, and 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 there's all types of data, right? There's there's lists which we don't call those leads. In 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 my like, I don't call those leads when when you're acquiring lists 
of of individuals um you know obviously they're probably not compliant we're, we'll, we'll just stay stay away from the compliant conversation at the moment but um if they're not raising their hand you know and saying i want a call about a mortgage just to stay on that you know example um that's not a lead uh now is it are, are do they you know is it a um a list of um a title a title search that says hey these people's mortgages are going to be up in three months um those aren't really leads those are those are sort of um what do they call uh marketing you know sales opportunities potentially but they haven't raised their hand for you to call them yeah so i mean when we look at the contact center space right and obviously when we run into sales opportunities lead generation we talk about a marketing generated leads and just lists that people dial on right the end result for them usually is one categories you're calling people that are expecting to hear from you right or at least that's the idea right that they've had interest in your contact now when and how you contact that's a different question and how often and on the other end of it is people that you want to go after that don't necessarily need to talk to you because they've expressed interest but they actually may have a need because of things like you mentioned, their mortgage may be coming up and they, they're gonna have to shop somewhere. They're gonna have to look for something. Why not be you, so on and so forth. So there's those two categories. So let's overlay that with the contact center space. From your experience and your knowledge, what are the things that a contact center, internal or an outsourcer have to do, both operationally and then technology-wise to make sure that when you service, when you actually act on or generate these two different types of leads, and let's kind of walk, work with leads on the list for the moment, what are some big things that companies, contact centers really have to take into account to be successful in those two, either generation of those and or acting on those and creating something positive? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to individuals that are raising their hand and filling out a form, whether it's your website or any or a third party vendor, the number one, you know, factor in success is obviously speed to contact. Um, you know, it's something that's obviously really, really important. Um, so as soon as that uh, lead is, and this is why contact centers play such a significant role in being and in, in helping brands be successful with leads, is because they have the capabilities. Generally, they have the technology stack. Um, they have <clears throat> the things in place that allow them to. Uh, successfully get a lead in and within seconds make that outbound uh, phone call. Um, you know, there's stats out there that, um, and, and, and I'll, I'll botch the stats, but you know, that you have a, you know, 10 times, you know, bigger chance of closing an individual in a sales uh, call when you call it within, you know, 10 seconds of them filling out that form. Um, and in a highly competitive environment, like lead generation and and let's just you know continue on with mortgage where three banks may be calling it's extremely important that that contact center is calling it immediately um and then now that we know you know beyond that first call that they have a proper um uh dialing strategy beyond that uh, uh call they're utilizing um text messaging especially these days assuming that we're all we're still assuming this is all compliant and they've opted into this but you know, there's a text messaging component to it. And then that the, uh, you know, obviously the training side of the CSRs uh, understand what they're talking about, right? So it's all sort of basic stuff that, you know, all the contact centers generally uh, do. But I would say that where people fall short uh, with being successful with calling on especially real in, inbound real-time inquiries from a website is, is that speed to contact, um, making sure that they're really picking up that phone and calling it. Uh, as soon as they receive that data list or that data lead. Yeah, it, I've had a lot of conversations around this topic, and the two things that have come up most recently, and I'd love to know your thoughts on it, is number one is the dynamic between, yes, speed is important, but does that person really expect your call? Or do they even right want it? In there? And <laughs> yeah. secondly, yeah, right? And then the second thing is, is there anything encouraging or inhibiting them to take that call when you make that call? So in other words, does that call in 10 seconds or less come up as fraud or spam or scam? Does it have the name of the business that's calling or the bank? Does the call actually get blocked? Does it actually encourage them to go, like, yeah, this is who I wanted to talk to. I'm expecting this call because it's not just a number from blah, blah, blah. It maybe has a name attached to it or a logo or whatever. 
Have you seen or experienced challenges in even though you hit the speed, but there's something in between that's causing the consumer's experience to say yay or nay to taking that call? Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, you, I mean, you touched on a lot of different things, and and I guess the first part is to um, if you're if you're partnering with a uh, a third party vendor, a lead generation company to drive uh, data into your call center or or into your brand. Um, that, that co company, that vendor needs to be, um, providing transparency to the consumer, meaning when they fill out this form, Hey, you're going to get a phone call, speak to somebody in minutes and then showing them, you know, who's going to be calling them. Here are the companies that you've been matched with, expect their call and, um, and, 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 and being transparent with the consumer. It doesn't work anymore where, you know, you know, 10 years ago, there was a lot less transparency in the process. <clears throat> now there, there just has to be more. Consumers aren't picking up the phone uh, with from individuals that are not, um, you know, in their, uh, uh, you know, in, in their in their contact list already. Right. If, if it doesn't say mom or sister, or whatever, they're not picking up the phone. Right. Unless they really are expecting a call. So you got to make sure that they're expecting that call. But then, yeah, now we're facing challenges with, um, you know, spam blocking and ID, you know, call blocking, all that sort of stuff, um, which is a big challenge for contact centers, um, you know, to, to be whitelisted or white labeled and stir shaken now with spoofing phone numbers. I mean, it, it is it gets harder and harder to contact people by the phone. Um, there's no question about that. Um, and, uh, I know a lot of contact centers, I'm sure you've talked about it a lot on the podcast are, are trying to figure out how to go about navigating that issue alone. Um, but then, but then here comes in text messaging, right? So text messaging is quite the opposite. Um, text messaging is mm -hmm. sort of wide open these days, as far as a regulatory standpoint, um, you can text message people and, um, you know, if, if, if the communication level is there and they're opting into it on the form, I mean, that seems to be a really great way to go. Uh, certainly that opens up a can of worms when it comes to, you know, training and, and implementing, you know, how you go about implementing uh, text messaging within a call center. Um, do you have a team? Is it, is it, is it based on just the agent alone doing it? You know, is it one-to-one? -one? Is it automated? You know, there's a lot of things, but there is, there seems to be, um, you know, challenges here on, on calling, but then there's a opportunity for text and other channels to communicate with consumers. Right. Then we got that omni-channel thing going. Yeah. It's interesting how, yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting how, the various channels really all drive you either towards uh, a quick answer, a self-service answer, or another way to get you to a voice interaction without the pain that many unfortunate voice interactions can go if they don't have a proper journey for people. Um, but with that said, to stick a little further onto the SMS side of it, Let's say you're doing everything from the opt-in perspective, the compliance dots are all there. Are you saying that you've seen success in a call first, then a follow-up SMS or an SMS first to confirm like right after they submit the form saying, hey, you're going to get a call and uh, mark yes to take a call now or no or you know any type of thing like that where then they say yes and you just call them with that number or you just say, hey, you're going to be receiving a call within the next minute, be ready for a call, and then you call them. Have you seen or gotten feedback on the layering and dynamic of the order of things and then how you're prepping people to be aware and ready for that conversation? Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen what specifically uh, when you're comparing, um, you know, A, B examples, what's working best. But I do know I've talked to a number of companies that are doing one of two things. One is they're sending out a text message at the same time or, or right there before a call comes. It goes, hey, we got your inquiry uh, about your mortgage. We're going to be calling you right now. Phone call goes out. And then from that, hopefully from that same phone number. See, that's that. Th this is the tricky part: is is getting you know the calls to. I think these days require coming from a, a same phone number that they can recognize. Um, and there's also ways to do this within email. And I'm not to get off too much, but you know, in email response going out in real time, going into a phone, 
that has that same phone number in the email that you're calling from will in some and on some phones will recognize that number because it's in your in your database now on your phone that'll go hey this could be you know xyz mortgage company yeah siri siri is one yeah. example that does that yeah so there's fast calls yeah so there's emails. ways about going about it but back to the back to the text messaging um you know we see we see companies um, not giving fully giving up uh, that speed to contact uh, uh, approach with a phone call, but pairing it with um, a text message as well, and just sending out the phone and the text message. Hey, we're coming out, and whether that's been perfected on the timing yet, I don't know, um, but it certainly is coming to uh, I think a fruition that text messaging is a really good way to set up a phone call you know, to schedule it or just tell them to call you when they're ready, which is okay. I'm, when I say that, I don't mean give up the um, idea of, of taking control of when you, you know, follow up and control and putting it all in the consumer's hand. That's not a good idea. Um, but allowing them to have a little bit of control over, hey, yeah, call me at this time or whatever it may be. But I think it's a, I, I don't think that balance has been figured out, at least from my conversations, because no one's giving up that opportunity to call and call fast because we know it's extremely important to get somebody on the phone. And I mean, let's not forget, we're talking about people that have raised their hand and said, I do want you to call me. So, you know, it's a little bit different than, you know, a cold call uh, on a random Sunday afternoon and they filled out a form, you know, four days ago. That's when you see contact rates go, uh, you know, uh, in the can. Um, that's why it's so important to make those contacts, you know, within the first minute you know, within the first five minutes. And then it, every every 10 minutes that, that lead gets old, uh, the less likelihood of you getting a hold of that person is going to be. Yeah, so I think before we hop into the next topic, to really wrap that up nicely is, one, speed is hugely important. But the other part of it is it's not a one-trick pony, right? It's a multi-layer of tactics that are worked in unison to help meet that person where they want to be met, how they want to be met, so that conversation can happen sooner than later. Because the longer you take, the worse it's going to get for that opportunity to actually come to fruition. Yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. And, and and you kind of made me think about one other thing that's been really interesting uh, to see. Uh, you know, contact centers and sales teams do, and it's sort of smart distribution. Um, of where those, you know, who's calling on mm -hmm. those leads and who's likely going to be more successful with um, uh, closing or qualifying that lead. And and now we're seeing, you know, companies within their contact centers take not just sort of spray and pray kind of thing uh, with their leads and just hope that whoever gets it can close it, but actually starting to go, well, listen, if this is a you know, a Medicare call from California, this should go to the, this group here uh, that understands that area, that know whatever it may be, or that age group, or if it's a refinance in Florida, it should go here. You know, so I, I've seen, you know, contact centers and sales organizations start to be a lot more intelligent with not only their outbound strategy, but also who they distribute those leads to and who can communicate the best, you know, potential opportunity to that individual, which is also, I think, pretty interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think getting the right person to the right yeah. place at the right time aligns with that and using technology, people and process to make it happen, I think in the right way can make a big difference. So let's kind of switch over to another topic. You're the CEO of Contact.io. And I know there was some new things that have come about with that because there was some pause there. I'd love to kind of dive into that. And then lead generation world, right? What is the purpose of these two? Give us a little bit more insight into it. And what big things or things are exciting coming up going yeah, into definitely. 2022? So Lead Generation World um, is uh, a, a conference that we just founded um, uh, two years ago, and it focuses obviously on the uh, lead generation uh, industry, sort of full funnel. So that means you know from the marketing standpoint, um, uh, strategies on driving traffic, converting traffic into leads, and then subsequently closing those leads after they've been purchased. Um, so we sort of bring the whole ecosystem together. That means um, uh, lead generation companies. That means marketing agencies. That means the service providers uh, in, in the middle, like a CRM or lead management system or, or uh, um, you know, call center platform. 
Um, and then we also bring the brands as well. So the lead buyers get to come, you know, come and we have a lot of content for them around best practices on how to um, find good vendors, how to how to decipher good leads from bad leads and then analytics and how to close them into sales. So we that lead gener- you know lead generation world sort of you know focuses on the whole industry. Contact.io uh, was founded by my friend Jay Weintraub um, in 2016, I think it was, and he ran that show for two years, uh, and then he also started another show. At the time, that other show got really really popular. So unfortunately, Contact.io um, took a, a back seat, but it was a really popular show then, and. Um, and it was it was popular because it really focused not just on contact strategies and and customer service strategies, and also, but also the call marketing aspect of it. And so um, we we sort of brought back Contact.io. Um, we acquired it from 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 Jay and and brought it back and relaunched it, and are really focusing sort of on the same objectives, which is you know bringing um, a new fresh uh, conference uh, to the contact center space. Um, with with just a different feel, um, we try to do a lot of fun things at, at our shows, at, in, integrate a lot of networking opportunities, um, have a, a really um, active exhibit hall and great and great content. Um, but I would say the sort of difference between probably us and some other contact center shows is that we also integrate sort of the marketing aspect of it because it's not always just about um, the the contact center strategies or the outbound strategies or the inbound strategies but it's also how to okay how do we also drive data and opportunities into those contact centers and um and so we we also you know talk a little bit about driving inbound calls from um uh, media campaigns um and also creating your own uh inquiries and and driving them into your 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 contact centers so uh we we add that to it we're really excited about it we had our last you know last show uh, last month in Denver, um, and uh, you know, had about 500 or so people there. We're looking at growing it further, and just excited to um, be back and and sort of facilitating the contact center space. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And how true is this for the contact center industry? where business partners that you can call friends are so rare. At Noble Biz, we made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners. As a complete telecom services provider with an experience of over 20 years in the industry, Noble Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers, big or small. Because our goal is to become the ultimate provider for the contact center industry, service quality is on top of our priority list. We will guarantee crystal clear voice quality, legal backup, smart routing, 99.9% uptime, high grade security, and an easy setup. At Noble Biz, we are confident to affirm that we have the best cost per minute in the entire contact center industry. Do you have any doubts? Get in touch and find out. Learn more about the Noble Base Voice Carrier Network on www.noblebase.com. Well, what's interesting is both of these don't sound like they've been around for a really long time, which means that the time that they've come to life have been really peaking, if not really heavily impacted one way or the other yes. by the pandemic, right? We're going on two years here. And for somebody who now not only is the CEO of these two companies, but you had to have seen very specific things on how you had to evolve or actually make these events worthwhile. How did it impact you when the pandemic hit up to how does that change, if anything, what you're doing at your events and how you're? Yeah, going to we go sort forward? of glazed over the part at the beginning when, um, you know, I didn't, I, I never was an event person. <laughs> I was a legion guy. Yeah. Wait, yeah. what? Your whole life? I thought, oh, that's yeah, what yeah, you wanted to grow up to be. <laughs> I was a, le- I'm a, I'm a marketing guy. Um, I'm a legion guy. Uh, I'm a relationship guy, and I, you know 
I, I, I had a passion for helping companies sort of navigate the lead gen ecosystem and was involved with a few shows, but never intimately involved in the operation side of it. Um, and there came a point uh, in 2019 where I really wanted to bring back a show that's by an industry uh, professional and for the industry. And um, that's where Lead Generation World came out of. And we started, our first show was uh, 20, January 2020, two months before uh, the pandemic. So we were able to um, you know, have a successful show and get it off the ground right before everything sort of hit the fan. Um, but it was it was challenging, you know, through that year trying to figure out how are we going to navigate this, and we had to push things off and do things different. And the same thing goes for Contact.io. Listen, I've worked at two uh, contact center spaces that's business development, and um, I'm I'm an industry guy, so to speak. You know, I've worked with a number of brands on their contact strategies, helping them build um, efficient call centers, and and working with the Legion sort of ecosystem to be successful. And so we take the same approach with contact that we do with lead generation world, which is what would, what would I want? What would we want from a show being uh, industry players ourselves? Uh, what would we want? Because I feel like, to be honest with you, and this is, this is why we started the conferences because I feel like there's a lot of shows out there that are run by, by event people and they're, they're, they're marvelous at putting on events. Um, but sometimes they're just a little detached from the industry as a whole. And they don't really uh, understand what content uh, really works and what it's like to actually be an exhibitor and what, what, it, what it's like to have a, you know, uh, pay a lot of money to be in an exhibit hall that's empty. You know, and so we, we take the approach of um, what would we want when we show up and we pay, you know, $500 or $800 for an event or $1,000 to exhibit. What, what do we want in return from that? And that's, uh, that's sort of our approach on both of those events um, as we take it. But yeah, it's uh, no, never in, in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would be managing events, especially through a pandemic. Um, but we were doing it and uh, it's, it's, uh, everything's working out just fine. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And the other part, considering I've been a participant at a lot of events and I've been a vendor at events, I will say that there are a lot of times in which the audience that the event is catering to definitely seems to exclude the vendors. (laughs) It's like you're there, your money goes into it, but you're really not the reason why people go to these events. And it's like, okay, well then find the money. It doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's why you know, with all our shows, we try to make the exhibit hall the center of the show. Listen, uh, you know, a booth, whether it's $3,000 or $10,000, whatever, I, you know, by the way, we don't sell booths for $10,000, but I'm just talking in general, you know, um, you're spending thousands. Oh, yeah, they're that much yeah, more. Yeah, but there are, but there are, <laughs> there are shows that, sp- you know, charge that much for large booths and all this. And not only that, you're shipping everything out there. You're, you're having to have the booth cost. It, it's very expensive. And so... <laughs> for a show not to consider you the center of its uh, business and its its show is is downright disrespectful, frankly. And so I think um, you know we we have our comp- our exhibit hall always has uh, things happening in the middle of it, and it's always it's open, and we try to drive as much action as we can into that exhibit hall. In fact, we make people walk through the sessions through the exhibit hall floor in most cases, depending on you know the the, the layout of the the venue but yeah it, it doesn't you know those sorts of things are are reasons why we do things a little different at the show and hopefully people get more value out of every dollar they put into the you know investing in attending a show um but yeah that's our outlook i mean we take our we take the approach that um uh what would we want when we're spending money on on being an exhibitor or sponsor at a show yeah i think that's critically important but we we don't want to forget that People that are the attendees need to get value from that show. And that value has to not only align with the content, the things that the show is doing, but the vendors also have their part. The vendors have to provide value. They have to be able to give an environment that's conducive to people wanting to engage in conversation and feeling that when they leave that 
that they're better off than when they came. And so I don't want to just put it on that, well, the vendors pay a lot of money to show up, so give us all the attention. At the end of the day, yes, it's an investment. But the flip side is you're also there to do good work. You're there to service the audience that's there that hopefully if you earn it, they become your customer. And so I think that same thing applies, though, that while you're there as a vendor, as a participant as well in that experience, that everyone's on the same page of what everyone's part is so that that whole show is not only successful for the event coordinators, but for the attendees and the vendors that go and pay a lot of money to show up. So um, I'll leave it there, but I think it's great that that's the focus you're coming from. That's the approach you envision for how these three different distinct groups can now have their money better spent, right? And uh, time, of course. Yeah, which absolutely, is absolutely. And and we're so excited about uh, contact.io. Um, you know, next, next year, um, we're already you know, discussing uh, content and bringing on, you know, experts and just making it better than it was last year. Um, and, you know, la- this last month, we're still, we're struggling with, um, you know, some some companies that couldn't attend due to restrictions and, pen- you know, due to the pandemic. Um, but we're excited for next year. And, 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 and if you don't mind anybody listening that wants to be involved uh, from a, uh, you know, speaking standpoint that, you know, we'd love to have uh, experts really share actionable information i think that's a key too to a successful show not not companies that want to get up there and do a demo of their product now we don't do that um but we really want people that um have a passion for for this industry the contact center industry and want to share their expertise and help companies and help brands be successful because i um you know i have a a, a real core belief that if contact centers and, and brands can be successful um, then this whole industry can continue to grow. Co- companies like Knowable Biz can continue to grow and expand if if the companies have the right tools and the right expert expertise uh, to be successful. And so I think that's where um, you know Contact Center comes in and trying to facilitate that. And and any individual that wants to um, you know participate in that mission, uh, you know, hopefully they can reach out to me. Yeah. No. I mean, um, obviously the audience we have. Yeah, has a lot of knowledge, right? You have people that have just worked their way up. They own businesses, run businesses. They're in the trenches all the time. Uh, They're the heroes of the pandemic from the perspective. They were the frontline workers in many ways in a lot of these contact centers. And a lot of people do mission critical work. And a lot of the stuff in the lead generation world, some of these things are really important for people, right? You're signing up for something that could be impactful, meaningful in your life and having that good communication is important. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and resilience. Noble Biz applauds and salutes the contact center community for not giving up and fighting the good fight, working to set contact centers on the road to success. Our contribution consists in providing one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omnichannel solutions on the market called Noble Biz Omni Plus. Take your contact center to the next level with Noble Biz Omni Plus. Get instant access to a full range selection of channels, from voice calls to SMS, and from email to WhatsApp, Twitter, or Telegram. Get control over the external factors with the possibility to switch from an on-premise team to a remote system in just a matter of hours. And get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent dashboard, and many more high-grade features. All in just one product, Noble Biz Omni Plus, a crisis-proof solution for scaling operations. So for companies to attend contact.io and lead generation world, what are the things that you do to get the organizations, the people, not the vendors, but the people to actually show up? I mean, that's got to be a big job. So what is it that you do outside of saying, hey, we're different, we're doing all these different things? How have you gone about getting 500 people to that first show or this last yeah, show? Yeah, well, uh, I'll talk about what we do moving forward because uh, last, last, this last event um, was great. We sort of just did – we did um, our normal – a launch of a show, um, but what we do and we'll do for for Contact.io uh, next year is we do set aside, you know, hundreds of free passes uh, to brands 
Um, you know, we for for like lead generation, we're coming up in January. Uh, we set aside a hundred thousand dollars worth of free passes to qualified brands and lead buyers. Um, we'll do the same thing for contact.io. We'll set aside, you know, a hundred passes for brands that are looking uh, for contact center uh, services. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, you know, any any brand uh, uh, that that is looking for those types of services. We try to get them there to help. Uh, provide them with a low-cost opportunity to to come to a conference and and get in touch with qualified and and really good businesses. Um, so that's one thing. I mean, we you know we you can call it charity, we we'll call it whatever you want, but we we really believe again that if if those brands have those tools, um, this whole industry will grow, and and that means the the conference will grow, and that means the the noble business uh, com- you know uh, platforms will grow and all you know we'll continue to to build on top of it so i think it's an investment in the industry as a whole uh that is the way i look at it but yeah we'll, we'll continue to you know put out as much best practices as we can and, and hopefully uh, you know bring on expertise uh throughout building up to the show and provide those opportunities for brands to come to the show at a at no cost uh or low cost um and uh we hope that that's the uh you know the what will work and, and hopefully will people will follow our passion uh for for helping this industry grow so when you said during the pandemic you had a show right before it hit right and you said you just had a show i know there was a huge trend in the event space where everyone yeah. pivoted to online some were very very difficult <laughs> to say the least, uh, I'll, I'll call it a, you might as yes. well just burnt your money, right? Um, yeah. Participating. And then there was others that found creative ways to make it more palatable. Have you entertained online? Have you done online? Have you thought it's just not for you? What are your thoughts well, on that aspect? Well, I, I agree with your, your first statement is generally that it's just not um, – a value it doesn't provide the same value that a in-person show would do and to associate costs similar to an in-person show to a uh, online you know a virtual show is just not doesn't make sense um, there are most people went to a free model you know uh, which which is fine but then it kind of goes back to the um, to the sponsors and vendors are they getting the value out of it um, that they 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 put the money into if they're supporting this event um, at the end of the day, I, I, I just don't find that it provides uh, the value um, that's needed for all parties. So we generally just don't don't do them virtual. We did. Uh, we did a free one in you know when uh, in May of 2020 after things you know started and, but it was purely an experiment and it's purely just to provide some type of content for it. But I think there's a lot of great content out there. Uh, you know, the podcasts like this, there's ongoing webinars that you can get, um, that are free and, uh, to, 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 to put those all into a two day event and, um, masquerade it as a conference. Uh, I just don't, I don't personally think there's a whole lot of value in it, but I will say there are some companies that do it phenomenally, and it and it and it's actually quite costly. Some of these platforms where you're walking around the exhibit hall, you're running into, you can hear people talking. You know, there's there's some really really cool things out there. I just think the good news is that that's I think that time is 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 passing us, and um, the the value of in person conversations is is I think even more realized today uh, than it was you know pre pandemic. Um, and now, you know, people do realize the value of face-to-face conver- interactions and, and getting in front of people and talking with people and, and that value and creating partnerships, real partnerships with, with people is important. I mean, we had a trouble, but I mean, t- go, bringing it back to the contact center space, it, what a whirlwind uh, that was for so many contact centers having to, you know, go uh, um, remote and figuring that all out within weeks of weeks time. And, and I mean, that was insane for, for a lot of the companies that are listening to when we had our struggles, but that that's a whole other, you know, these contact centers that had to move hundreds of people remote and figure out how to, uh, you know, monitor uh, and continue to train and all these sorts of things was, uh, um, you know, quite a uh, challenge. And so for them to hear me talk about this is probably silly, you know, considering with all they've gone through. <laughs> yeah, well, I think 
every person yeah. has yeah. their own struggle, right, in their own life, yeah. what things that they go through. So what's difficult for one may or may not be for another. But I think what it really taught us, though, for those of us that want to talk about it versus just the ones that we say this is our story, um, one, it was disruptive, right? It forced change and change that some of us learned from and we appreciated things like, hey, <laughs> um, I, I, what's the size of my house? What, what, where, how do I work from home, right? How do I do this or do that um, with not being able to commute anymore, right? You know, I can't get public transportation. I can't go find food or, hey, my job, um, I'm out of work, right? On the flip side, there's been a lot of innovation, a lot of adoption of things that people were like, I'm not doing that. Um, and then now they're like, I have no choice. I have to do it. Right. So there's this idea where uh, I think there's been a lot of people that their industries have been disruptive, uh, uh, disrupted. Uh, a lot of people that have become uh, entrepreneurs. A lot of people have left the job market. Uh, but there's also a lot of people that have been open to change, doing something different. Right. And I see you're doing something different. So I think there's still going to be a lot of positive that comes out of some things that are horrible and tragic and damaging in many ways. And so those of us that were lucky and didn't have it as bad as others, I think we can obviously reflect and find out how we can do better and do more. So as one of the shifts, I know one of the topics I wanted to cover was LGW jobs. Can you give me some insights and feedback on what that is and what's going yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, uh, so, so it's a it's a recruiting uh, arm. Um, and basically, you know, we we sort of consider ourselves connectors in the industry anyways. Um, we bring people together in the conference. Um, for, for many years, um, I ran a, an association uh, called the Leeds Council. It's now called the Consumer Consent Council as of a couple days ago. Um, but it was, you know, people would always come uh, to me and go, hey, I'm, I'm looking for somebody to hire because it is sometimes tricky to find uh, people specifically with lead generation uh, experience and understanding performance marketing and all those aspects um, and, and same in the contact space. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, they would come to me, hey, do you know anybody I'm trying to hire? And yeah, I do. And so we just sort of formalized that uh, that that process um, and, uh, you know, help companies find individuals um, and more so help uh, individuals find companies uh, to work for. And, um, you know, it, it, it just sort of follows along the lines of, of, you know, helping people navigate this industry one way or the other and connecting people together. It's just, it's an uh, interesting thing that's sort of come about in my life is, is just the sort of passion of, for bringing people together uh, and, and connecting and helping. And I think that, you know, that's sort of how that came about was, was sort of doing the recruiting thing and helping just connecting companies and people together. Well, sounds like you found a need and you started plugging in what you already had into play to make that a need that you could help serve. And so um, I, I think it all comes together that the idea here is you have expertise in this field, in this arena. How do your events, how do these different conduits working with one another actually help companies do better and do good work? So with that said, we this is the part of the, the show we get to a little bit of personal stuff. So I mean, I know you live and breathe lead generation, but what do you do on your off time? What do you do to decompress? What do you do to do something different than what lead generation drives your day to day? Uh, well, I've got two kids. One just got shipped off to LSU college. Uh, so, so we're down one here at the house. The other one is a 15 year old, uh, <laughs> soccer player. So it, it has to do a lot of my, my free time still has to do with, uh, with him and, and, and shipping him, uh, are all around for soccer games, but even more specifically, I live in San Diego, so I'm blessed to um, be able to have relatively uh, good weather most of the day. So we like to go outside, I like to go for runs. Uh, I used to do some uh, Ironmans and that sort of stuff. So I've just continued to uh, run and uh, be outside. I think it's just good, not only um, physically, but also mentally uh, to, to be able to get outside and, and at least for an hour a day, do some level of activity outside. So uh, that's 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 sort of it, you know. Um, the you know business keeps um, me me busy, but I try my best to um, balance uh, you know personal and business uh, together and and appropriately. And um, so yeah, I, I try to I try to carve out some time to get outside every day. 
Well, that's good. And obviously being in San Diego, it's not a tough yeah. place to be. I actually oh, cool. grew up in San Diego. Um, I actually, I just left San I'm Diego sorry. in February. Um, <laughs> I had been there. It, it, well, you know, look, um, it's, it's very expensive in San Diego. Uh, food is fantastic in San Diego. Oh, cool. I grew up in Cardiff. Or for those of you who fully know the area, Cardiff by the sea. Uh, believe it or not, my, my grandmother's 105 uh, this year. And my family's been in San Diego and actually in Encinitas uh, for, for a long, long time. So, ah, some cool so you know Rob Machado and all those guys and all the surfers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His, his brother was um, the baseball coach and history exactly. coach awesome. at my high school. <laughs> um, you know, you know, a lot of those people, a lot of family, a lot of long term uh, history there. So it's a real, really neat yep. place to live. A lot of good food. Uh, yeah, I was just yeah, I was going to say I, I, I'm always happy <laughs> about living in San Diego until I look at my bank account. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. But, you know, uh, Colorado's treated me really well. Beautiful. And uh, even though it's a lot colder here. Very beautiful state, a lot of cool stuff to do outdoors, and uh, it's definitely a less long flight whenever I need to go somewhere um, on, on, the, on the East Coast for sure. But with that said, we've definitely had a great time having you on, giving us some insight into your world of lead generation and obviously some great conversation around how that overlaps with the contact center space. But look, there's tons of people, I guarantee you, that are going to be like, I want to talk to Michael. I want to sync up with him. I want to know more. I want to interact with his shows. How do they find you? How do they connect with you? And obviously, any of the events yeah, and I mean, they can go, they you know, multiple ways. We have contact.io, which is the website. They can go there, and there's a contact form that'll go uh, to us, or you can just email me at mike at contact.io. Um, and uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Michael Faree. Connect with me. Um, you can shoot me an email. Very responsive, and I uh, love to connect with people and eat some just talk shop. So if you if you want to do that, I'm always uh, available. Or if you visit San Diego, you might run in him on that moment. He takes some free time yeah. to go outside. So, <laughs> all right, everybody. That wraps season two of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Um, look, at the end of the season, we always ask for your opinion. We ask for your feedback, good and bad, and obviously great suggestions for guests. So please, if you can go to info at noblebiz.com and give us that feedback, give us those comments. And of course, any guests you think we should have on, we'd really appreciate it. Other than that, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your year. Looking forward to connecting with you next season. If you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. Like us, rate us, review us. If you want to hear more on our take on coronavirus, remote work, and contact centers, go to nobelbiz.com and click on webinars to see our recorded on-demand webinars. Thanks for listening to First Contact Stories of the Call Center. My name is Christian Montez, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. This podcast has been hosted by me, Christian Montez, produced, written, and edited by Bogdan Minutes, with co-executive producers Steve Biederman, Christian Montez, and Bogdan Minutes.